Hi, I'm Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana. Neurons to Nirvana is a podcast celebrating the creative minds of people from all walks of life who tell their stories of triumph over trials and tribulations through all mediums, forms, and expressions of consciousness. I must share, because it's important that you understand why I felt the need to create something like this. Um, The world is clearly somewhat chaotic. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. As frustrating as it is, uh, it does not appear that this is going to be going away for a a while. So I was two weeks late, um, my dear brother. She was 5'1", and at the time, she was nearly 40 when she gave birth to me. which was very unusual back then, particularly in Savannah, Georgia. People didn't have children that late. It's very prominent. But the point is, is um, my mom and dad uh, decided to have me, and I was uh, two weeks late, and they named me Thomas. So, of course, from the get-go, I knew and was doubting the world outside. So I would, I didn't want to leave my mother's womb because I knew the world is messy and the world is hurtful and, but at the same time, beautiful. And I, I have to thank my parents for doing that. My mom, who both my parents are no longer with us and it's, you know, One of the reasons why I struggled, my parents were clearly from a different generation. I was ADHD in 19, so I was, when I was six, seven, eight, we're talking about during the end of the Reagan era. Um, It was chaotic. They did not have, the right, I mean, at my school, they put me in a program that called SLD, which is an acronym for Student, student Learning Disability. Um, and so from my very onset, it was very frustrating for my attention deficit disorder and uh, my learning disabilities. But I also always had a thirst for knowledge. Um, so things that I'm, I'm a person of motion. I love sports from an early age. I was hitting baseballs, uh, like three running around. Um, I was memorizing <laughs> baseball encyclopedia, but then also, uh, you know, my mother, she, uh, which is when she gave birth to me, she was, uh, She perhaps had postpartum depression, and um, she herself uh, clearly suffered from her bouts of depression and anxiety. She had a lot of anxiety, but she was... I get a lot of uh, my social and my sense of humor and my, my love to be around people and make them laugh. She was amazing. My mother was gangster. 
She was one of a kind, uh, a true Southern belle. Um, in fact, John Barrett, who wrote The Midnight in the Garden, Good and Evil, he wanted to include my parents as a uh, one of the main characters, a vignette in Midnight Garden, Good and Evil. Now, of course, my dad, he had been at Harvard Law and knew John Barrett. And so while he was at law school, John Barrett, as an undergrad, he was the editor for Harvard Lampoon. My point in saying all this is my parents, my dad was, he knew as much as John Barrett, that I have a copy of the letter, pushed them. He knew that he was gonna portray Savannah in a somewhat hyperbolic, of course, Savannah is a very uh, beautiful and complex, full of rich history, uh, you know, at the same time, we have a past that I'm certainly not proud of, and I can't, uh, you know, I'm from the South, but that's also at a very early age when my mother was battling her own anxiety and postpartum depression, and, you know, I was a handful, so at an early age, I do not hold this against my parents. My dad was a very, um, he was a badass, okay? Uh, his name is Walter Hartridge, and I couldn't live in his shadow. I would have been the sixth or literally the seventh generation of attorneys. But at an early age, my dad knew that I was a little different, although he tried his best to suppress me. You know, I used to tell my dad that I wanted to be a comedian, and he said that's no way to make a living. I also had love music. It's the rhythm of life. I had a uh, tryout for drums with the school, made it. And so two of the worst things that my dad ever did, as awesome as he was, he didn't know, uh, was the fact that he took my drum kit <laughs> away from me when I was 14, 15 years old. And he told me that uh, he quickly dismissed my desire to do anything creative in regards to, he just didn't, he didn't understand. It was very foreign. He didn't see how I could perhaps venture out and make something of that. So I suppressed that for years. And the point of me uh, bringing all this up is three things that define me and who I'm most proud of what I'm most proud of, it's nothing monetary. I, because of my, um, you know, I'm a commitment foe. <laughs> I, I love, I want to settle down. I love I've, women, the company of women. Uh, I love sharing. They're, they're, I just, I, you know, because I was all, that's other than my father, I had two sisters. And when my mom wasn't feeling well, I was literally raised by a number of fantastic, strong-willed, badass women, from both my mom's sisters to my own siblings, my older sisters. I have two sisters, Emma and Elizabeth. They, you know, they're 12 and a half and nearly 15 years older than me. So I was somewhat of an only child, and my parent and, I, and a handful. And my dad was. Uh, he loved the law. He was some of his court cases literally are uh, cited, and somebody that went to University of Florida Law School told me that 
they brought up one of his cases, uh, one of his classes. And that, that itself, it, it was just a shadow that, uh, and, but my dad also, he talked me out of it, but three things that show or f- few things that I'm proud of are the fact that, you know, they, they say that your personality is set no later by the age of seven. Well, Savannah is a, um, beautiful city but uh you know it has it's very it's it's you know there's a history with the but it's also who what makes the city so beautiful is the very complicated relationship obviously with the african-american community it's it's predominantly it's about you know very much like new orleans and charleston more so like new orleans i always say that savannah is like New Orleans with the prom dress and New Orleans is like Savannah on steroids. That being said, um, what I'm proud of is the fact that I had all these women raise me, but I had a mother because my mom wasn't feeling well. At a very early age, I got a window of the tempo and the culture and the beauty of what a lot of people from who are white and come from the affluent background is the true rhythm and what makes Savannah so great. The the food, the culture. I was raised by a woman who, her name was Regina Johnson. She didn't have more than a fourth grade, higher than a fourth grade education. Everything, she, she read the Savannah Morning News she had a true curiosity um, and thirst for knowledge. And I was blessed that she loved me. Um, and because of that, she would bring me around to her friends and take me to her parts of town and restaurants. And I was the only, you know, uh, curious and precocious and, and social, I was I was white, but I was among all these wonderful people that were um, from the coast, uh, Gullah and Geechee. So it's a microcosm of what's going on and what I'll discuss in the world is if we're not careful, we're, as a society, we're going to drain out the true treasures and uh, and what enrichment and jewels of American culture by consumerism and there's so much hate. And so there's this wonderful from the Islands of Georgia and South Carolina, these people that for the most part, for instance, Sapelo, the Gullah, Gullah and Geechee. So it's South Carolina and Georgia. They basically have their own dialect, and Regina, she was a bridge to that. So she spoke, and uh, the way she talked had a, a certain rhythm, and it brought me an excitement, and, and it kind of made me, and I always loved tagging along with her when my parents were out of town. You know, I was a handful, and when my parents, parents, 
when I was frustrated, I could express myself. They didn't know what to do with me. And there, Regina was like, I never raised my voice. She was it. Uh, and um, this has nothing, you know, my parents were awesome, but it was just, my mom, unfortunately, she had her own battles with uh, depression and thyroid, uh, hyper, hypo and hyperthyroidism, which um, at that point in the early 80s, they still didn't really have a grasp of what it does. I mean, it's awful how it throws uh, a woman, and it, it, I've regularly had my thyroid checked, but uh, it can really just throw your whole body out of whack. So my poor mother, it's, it's not, I, I have, I, I love her more than anything, and I miss her every, every day, but because of the silver lining is, is I was exposed to a different part of Savannah and culture. And so I was into listening to jazz and Miles Davis and Louis Armstrong and was exposed to Robert Johnson. I just, of course I was listening to rock and roll, but there was this, you know, and I was listening to their songs. Um, and it was a bridge to, yes, a, a very dark, but important. Like, we cannot whitewash what is going our, our history, which is clearly what's going on from a very large portion of uh, the population, or there's certainly a movement where they just do not want, like, in order, we have to own the mistakes that we've made. We cannot whitewash them or... It's not an exact pun, I mean, terrible word, but like, we cannot, if we don't recognize, I have no problem with uh, removing all the Confederate monuments, but I do, and I was hoping that perhaps we could place them in a museum. Anyway, I'm rambling, but the point is, is Regina, she, she opened up a different world um, and culture and appreciation for the African-American community. And so to fast forward, I never lost touch with her. And I mean, she was my surrogate mother. Um, and so why I'm proud where I'm going with this is um, I would, even after I graduated from high school and I went to the University of Georgia, whenever I would have a break, from spring break and summer, my parents, they once she retired, uh, they didn't keep up with her, but I did. And I would go visit her, and every time I would pop in to see her, she would be on the phone, and um, I would show up and she'd say, oh, listen, listen, I, I gotta go now. Um, my son is here, and, you know, they were thinking, one of her actual biological sons, she said, she referred to me always, no, my other son, Thomas. And I took great pride in that. Um, and so it kind of was an undertone and made me who I was. And I also understood that there was some really bad racial racism and undertones and, but for that purity, I would say until I was about 
I don't know, seven to 10. Uh, you know, once you get to be a certain age, you, you are influenced more or less, or you're exposed and it's, and it's was, I didn't understand why people thought that way because here I had this woman who was, I loved her like she was my own mother and I had to listen to and just see like when I was 12, it was all across the country like, um, yeah, I mean, by the time I was 10 and on set to 12, for instance, I was 12 when the riots with Rodney King out in LA, you know, it became, it was, it was disturbing to me because here I had these, these women, Regina and Emmeline, who also helped take care of me, you know, clearly, and that was the other thing, I was just shocked that these amazing women who helped raise me and other members um, and was very pivotal in my life and uh, they were, they had to live through all of the, for God's sakes, I was just baffled by uh, the civil rights and the fact that, yeah, and I would ride the bus at Cat, the Chathamary Transit with Regina, and she would tell me these stories about what happened, and I just didn't understand. And, um, you know, obviously we'd, thank God, there was headway, but clearly fast forward, we have things, Obama was elected for a moment, I was hopeful, and now with George Floyd, it's just disturbing, but my point in all this I'm rambling, but it's important, and it, I'm very proud of it, is when Regina passed away, I was 23, um, I was heartbroken, you know, uh, I was irritated because her daughter called, and I think my mother knew, but anyway, um, I was distraught, and I found out when the funeral was, and my parents, they didn't want to go. And I, I said, listen to me, if you don't go, you're never going to hear this shit from me. And so we went to the visitation and more, and that was sad to see her, you know, resting there. But the next day for the actual memorial service, it was this, um, a Baptist church um, in a part of town that I had been exposed through but I had not been to in years she used to take me all the time but when I went to the church I walked in there must have been 500 people from the congregation from and everybody knew who I was and when she passed away they came up and they said, oh, she never stopped talking about you and she loved you more than anything. She called you your other son and I loved her. Um, and so uh, it was, I was very proud to, you know, to see 
the recognition and feel the love and everybody knew who I was. It was a little daunting, but it was also, it felt great because it was a part of my life that somewhat was kind of hidden or the importance of it. And so I didn't really tell my parents when I would go visit her. Um, it just, it was very, I'll never forget it. Um, the other is the fact, you know, the two other items is, uh, because my parents had me so late, uh, both my parents, my father died of cancer and, um, both of their lives, my mother, they lived long lives, but, uh, anyway, I had familiarity with, um, well, basically, um, at the age when some of my friends were getting married, and um, these were choices, so I was just, I'm always on the go, I love to travel, certainly love and had girlfriends, but I didn't want to settle down, I just was running from something, but also I didn't find the right fit. But, um, you know, every girlfriend and um, romance that I've had, uh, I'll never forget. And they all had beautiful meanings. It was rocky, but the point is, is uh, I, I had to take over my father's affairs uh, when he was dying of cancer because um, he handled everything. Unfortunately, I was able to... But I literally saw the mo the strongest male, he and my grandfather, my mother's, they were both... There were others, my, uncle, my uncles as well, but uh, I would say that my grandfather, my mom's dad, and my dad were... They were the most pivotal as far as within the family, and I would say also patriarchs of my immediate and greater, larger family. They were just larger than life people. Um, it was a great loss for me, and I, you know, some would say, a lot of people thought, some would say I never recovered or whatever, but in reality, I found my voice. So I didn't realize that my dad had suppressed all these things and I got up and wrote a eulogy and was able to make back to a funeral in regards to Regina. Um, I was able to, my sisters and my aunts, they thought that I couldn't, they thought I couldn't pull it off. And my father was a, a badass um, litigator. I mean, legendary. Uh, in courtrooms from, you know, he was a federal, he had federal cases and also in the state of Georgia. But uh, I was able to make 500 people in the congregation both laugh and cry telling these stories and giving a depiction of who he was and his his witty, colorful language, and kind of where I got my sense of humor. 
And so that was something that I, that I would say defined me and I said, okay, fine. If I can do that, then maybe I can step up on the stage and try comedy or get into a creative, uh, you know, pursue a creative avenue and find my voice. And the third thing is uh, my mother. So because when COVID happened, um, I was still, after six years, still battling. I've always battled from anxiety, ADHD, and depression. Um, it would come and go in waves. And, you know, that, I think that's part of American culture. Um, but at times, so I'm not ashamed of it. And what I want is to find and speak to... I want uplifting stories and also because of, God, there's so much hatred and negativity and global warming. I mean, we're destroying the, there's just so much alarming shit going on and people are losing their mental health and it's, it's a problem because of the pandemic and we need to reach out and people need to hear these uplifting stories of people who have overcome trials and tribulations with their own battles of depression through and also um, mental health or perhaps addiction, substance abuse. But I want people to realize to not give up. There's People with so much, with the current culture and people are so divis divisive and, um, you know, it's disturbing to me that we are having people like, I don't, I, I don't have children, but I have nephews and nieces and people that are, that I care about and hold dearly. They have children that are under 12 and I'm literally watching people get in fights about the fact that it's America and they don't want to wear masks. Um, when they're exposing their own children, and not to mention their own children, but their own parents, the elderly, who are more than likely not in good health, and they're aging, and it's fucking sad, and I don't understand how we got so self-absorbed. So, as complicated as my mother and our relationship, I loved her. She's fucking gangster. She was so... She was a true gem, and um, she always could rally and entertain, and she was hilarious, and she just was one of a kind of, in reality, you know, I, I, my dad was my best friend, but it was my mom who really kind of made me who I am. I mean, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be on the planet, right? But... Um, what I, when I, so that's, because of COVID, I didn't want to, it, it was terrible. I was isolated in Austin, but then, uh, and I didn't want to come back to see her because I didn't want to get her sick. And then finally, when I came home uh, to help out, because for, a, we were 
collectively as a family and I was co-trustees, we were selling our house that in South Carolina, I found out and discovered that she was sick and she hadn't been to the doctor. And she worried about me and I was in a, yeah, I've been working for corporations and sales. So I'm a people pleaser. I love humor. I love to talk to people from all walks of life. I have a thirst for knowledge, but um, people, I, I was damn proud of the, the clients that I did have back home when uh, I was an insurance broker. Um, I made damn sure that I took care of them. I've always showed up to their claims and so forth. I'm rambling. But the point was, is I, I had this desire to do something creative after, and it had been suppressed, and it fucking flipped my family out. They, they didn't... Actually, a lot of my family were very supportive. They realized that it would be great for me to leave Savannah, that there was more to the world. Um, I had lived in Atlanta and went to the University of Georgia, but I, I really hadn't left my home state. But uh, I love to travel, I love music, I love to go to live shows, I love seeing comedians. Um, art, doesn't matter, art museums, um, science museums, whatever. The point is, is the thirst of knowledge, was, but I, had, I needed to do something that fit me. So when I was looking at colleges, my uncle... Hamilton, he showed me Texas, and I got in, and my dad said, well, if you're going to state school, you're either going to go to my alma mater, University of Georgia, or, I mean, University of Virginia, or University of Georgia, and so I'd always had, I was fascinated by Austin, the music, the culture, there was a great comedy scene, I didn't want to go to LA, I didn't think uh, I could handle it, but just, you know, Matthew McConaughey says the great thing about Austin is you can just be you. People don't, people, Austin, it's getting, I am a little concerned, but it's, it still has that undertone where it accepts people from all walks of life and creativity and uh, it's very progressive and I was left but it moved but uh some people that have inspired me joe rogan is here he's moved here and he's opening up a club comedy club and i hope you know i um nobody in my family at least my parents uh, uh my mom but they just didn't understand why I would want to do that or how I could make a living or whatever, but I had a desire to get up on stage. I've always, humor is what has been my medicine. Whenever I have been sad, it was music, uh, trying to find and see new cultures in my own surrounding, like I mentioned, or uh, to experience new things. I mean, money comes and goes, but it's, it's, life is, everybody, we, we need to enrich ourselves with culture and realize how great and wonderful this planet is and stop 
fucking being consumed with oh how many cars and and objects and it's just we we've got to see the true beauty in, in our surroundings uh and people we've taken that for granted and unfortunately covid skewed that but what i'm proud of is finally when i saw my mother i decided i had quit my job i was started the podcast but people not, did not have much support and so I was trying to find my way and all the while everything was put on pause so all the things that I loved live music comedy clubs uh, talking to people coming up with ideas it all was on pause and I just said fuck and I decided to Basically, once I found out my mother was terminally ill, that um, I was going to, you know, I just read Greenlight, Matthew McConaughey, and I just realized that um, Jesus, this wonderful person, as complicated as our relationship was, I loved her. She was so supportive. I was, I was scared to tell her that uh, I had gone down to South America to take ayahuasca. But once I told her, I told her after the fact, uh, and she was, it was, it was still, you know, I was so scared to, to tell her, but she was, it, it, it made her, she understood that I, I wanted, was trying to find happiness and, and, you know, I've never been suicidal or anything, but, um. I've never quite been satisfied, which has also made it's it's made me who I am. You know, I've always wanted to experience things, but uh, I just I dropped everything and realized, holy shit, life is too short. I don't want to be stuck in a fucking cubicle for the rest of my life, and live what society my parents and my family find to be acceptable we've got one moment and i'll get into this more later but the fact is is um, i'm so proud that i went back and took care of my mom my sisters came and helped but they have families of their own but i was my mother's primary caregiver and i was able to spend the last two and a half months with her over the holidays thanksgiving and christmas into early this year of 2021 and we had a lot of laughs and it was sad but uh, I got to say I, I, I took care of her so I didn't I kept my mother out of the fucking hospitals and out of nursing homes or any she wanted to die in the house that she loved in the garden um, and it's really these were the things that she loved and I'm, I'm just so glad that I was able to give that to her because she was scared, as she should be. Because my dad had been gone for six years and she'd been a widow and they'd been married for 50 plus years and she'd lost a huge piece of her. And I, I felt guilty, that, but I had to, if I didn't move to Austin and experience and you know, 
you know, take these jobs and I was fucking miserable. But at the same time, I was trying to come up and, and work my way. I was getting on stage uh, <laughs> with an alias. So my, my initials are Thomas C. Charlton Hartridge, very Southern. But uh, my nickname in high school was Hardy. So because of variations like D.L. Hughley and Louis C.K., I just said, okay, uh, let's make a... So I did T.C. Hardy, and that was my... That was my alias. And I was right because one of these sales jobs, so I was recording my stuff um, and I did this bit making fun of people in my work environment, how culturally it's just, that is the one silver lining about the pandemic and COVID is people now realize that you do not have to be stuck at a fucking in an office or uh, at your desk and people's you know the rhythms and how they're productive I'm my when I'm productive is certainly not gonna be it's different than somebody who maybe has to go in and work uh, you know a doctor has to work early in the morning at the hospital or so forth you know I'm, I'm more of a I don't find my rhythm until after 10 a.m. I mean, I'm just, I'm also a night owl. And, and that's the thing is at night when the world is quiet and I'm out at the stars, like I come up with ideas and I get to look at the cosmos and see, I mean, God, there's, <laughs> we're just one blip on an entire universe and it's fascinating to me. We'll get into that. But uh, yeah, I wanted to escort and and be there and protect my mom as she went out into the cosmos and reunited with my father and my you know my family and loved ones, Regina too, Johnson. Um, and so there we are. I just think it's important to share, and uh, we can condense that. But that's. These are things that really are important to me. And it shows you who I am. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.